of human existence. That's, that was a philosopher's um, idea of life, that happiness was the purpose of life. And I don't think anybody would disagree with the fact that we want to be happy. Isn't that right? Happiness is important to our lives. Happiness is important to us as, as Americans because that, you know, that's, that's even in our Declaration of Independence. The Declaration of Independence states that we are endowed with certain inalienable rights and the, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So happiness is something that is important to everybody, to all of us. A few years, uh, a couple of, maybe it was even a couple of decades ago, uh, but it was a while back. But remember, there was even a song that was very popular that said simply, don't worry, be happy. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, you know, that's a part of life is being happy. Um, uh, there was another philosopher by the name of Eric Hoffer that made this statement. And when I read this, I thought how true this is. But he said that the search for happiness is one of the chief sources of unhappiness. Let me say that again. The, the search for happiness is one of the chief sources of unhappiness. I believe that to be true. Somebody said, well, how, the, how could that be? It, it, it's true because most people who search for happiness never find it because they're searching. And I'm talking about true happiness because they're searching for that happiness in all of the wrong places. They're trying to find happiness in, in, in more money or uh, bigger homes. And again, there's nothing wrong with those things. But those are not the source. Of, that is not the, the source of true happiness. And here in this fifth chapter of Matthew, in these Beatitudes, in these first 12 verses, Jesus here gives us the blueprint for happiness in these Beatitudes. At the beginning, the very beginning of this Sermon on the Mount, he uses the word blessed or blessed um, about nine times there in those 12 verses. And we talked about that word last week, amen, a little bit. And uh, about that Greek word, and um, for the last couple of weeks we did, and what it actually means. That word blessed means to be happy and blissful and fortunate, to be envied. It's, it's, it's the blessings of the Lord. It's a life that has happiness. I'm not saying that it's a life that's void of trouble. It's not necessarily, it's not a life that has no problems, that is, that is exempt from all all heartache or problems, no, because as long as we're in this world, we'll never be exempt from problems or trouble. But that word blessed means that we, even in spite of the circumstances, independent of the circumstances, that we can be blessed, we can be happy, we can be consider ourselves fortunate, and others looking at our life can say that the life we live, we're enviable, we're 
work to be envied because of the blessings of the Lord upon our life. And that's the kind of a life that the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to live. And that's what Jesus is teaching his disciples here. And he's teaching all Christians. He's teaching us as well. He's teaching in these Beatitudes how we are to live. He's teaching proper conduct. And it's the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus. The multitudes have begun to come around. Um, the crowds have begun to grow. In, in, in Matthew chapter 4, the latter part of that chapter, because of the miracles of Jesus at the very beginning of this Galilean ministry, great multitudes are following him. And so he pulls his disciples aside and he takes them up into a mount and sets down and he begins to teach them. And he knows that these 12 disciples are going to need what he's going to be teaching to them because of the ministry that's going to pass on to their lives. And so these beatitudes are for us today as well. This teaching is for all Christians, and it gives us a, 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 the pattern of proper conduct and things that should be uh, in our lives. Amen. These beatitudes, as I've said, ref are referred to as the attitudes that be, and it's the attitudes that we are to have in our life. Amen. And he said there in, in verse number 1, are you there in Matthew 5? It says, in seeing the multitudes, he went up, Jesus went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, we've talked about those first two the last couple of weeks. Blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are those who mourn. And so we want to deal with that next beatitude. And as I said, I'd like to cover two, but I, I don't know if that's possible or not. But... Um, this next beatitude found in verse number 5 where Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, I just want to throw this out there because when Jesus is sitting there teaching these disciples these lessons, I don't believe that he just ran through them and spouted them off and that was it. I believe, you know, we learn by repetition, don't we? And we find other places in the Gospels where Jesus taught these things as well. So he didn't preach this sermon just one time. But I believe that he's, as he was teaching these disciples, that he was saying, Hey, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And he'd say, uh, did you get that? Peter, are you listening? Did you hear what I said? And, I, you know, I believe that he was ingraining this or implanting these teachings into the hearts of his disciples. But he gets to this third one, and he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness 
is a trait. It's a fruit of the Spirit according to Galatians chapter 5. And meekness is something that um, a lot of people, you know, we wonder, well, what exactly is meekness? It's something that every one of us needs to have operating in our lives. But what is meekness? Before we define meekness and talk about what it is to be meek, let me just tell you what meekness is not, okay? You, you, are you with me? I want to tell you what meekness, what weakness is not. Meekness, and you've heard this before, meekness is not weakness. Amen? And a lot of people think that it is. Well, if you're going to be meek, you're just real sheepish and you're real, you're real weak. But meekness is not timidity or cowardice. It's not a wishy-washy lack of conviction. Meekness is not being an introvert or being a sissy or being limp-wristed or being a weakling. Weakness is not bowing down or being spineless and fearful. It's not being a hen-pecked husband or a brow-beaten wife. That's not meekness. It's not being a yes man on the job. Meekness is not a passive acceptance of all the sinful and evil practices that unsaved men try to enforce upon, upon this world today. That is what meekness is not. So if that is what it is not, then what actually is meekness? And what does it mean for us to be meek? Well, the Greek word is praus. It's the Greek word praus, P-R-A-U-S. And that word means not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. We're going to take this a little slow, okay? Not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. It means being gentle, humble. It means lowliness, deference, considerate, mild, and soft. The word, the, the, the Greek word was used in Bible times and ancient times to describe a soothing medicine or a gentle breeze. It was something that was calm and gentle. So meekness is the opposite of pride. And, you know, we know, we found out when we studied Proverbs how, how much God had to say against pride. Pride is one of the, one of the six things that God hates. And, but it's the opposite of pride. Meekness is the opposite of stubbornness and fierceness and vengefulness. Meekness is the opposite of self-will toward God and ill-will toward men. Because a meek person is not going to be self-willed against the will of God. Neither will that meek person have an ill will toward men, any, uh, toward anyone, even those that have done them wrong. So when we're talking about meekness tonight, man, I'm telling you, we'll get, we, 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 it's going to get down into us where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. Amen. As my uncle used to say, we're, gonna, we're just going to... We're going to shuck the corn down and shell the corn down and see what color the cob is tonight, all right? Praise God. <laughs> but we all need a development of this fruit of the spirit of meekness in our life. Now, meekness, here's what it is. Meekness 
is one of the best definitions I know is that it's strength under control. It is strength under control. Now, this word, this word, prouse, was used um, as, a, uh, in, as a term that was used for, for uh, a wild horse or a wild stallion being broken. When they would take a wild stallion or a wild horse and they would, they would break that horse or that stallion and get that horse where it was able to, where a man could sit on it and ride it, where it was tamed or where it was broken, that wild horse that had been tamed was said to have been meeked. They used that terminology. That horse is meeked. In other words, uh, it was still powerful. That horse, that stallion still had all of the power and all of the strength, but yet that, that power had been under, come under control to the master. So meekness is a compliant spirit. Meekness is a spirit that is submitted to God. And meekness is a, is a will that is yielded to God. How many believes we need all of that tonight as believers is we need to be in our life in a place where we are submitted, where we are compliant, where we are yielded to the Lord. And we'll see here in just a little bit where meekness also has to do with being teachable and having, having a teachable spirit or a teachable attitude. So meekness is patience. It's patience. Here's one of the things that it is. When we talk about strength being under control, meekness is patience in the reception of injuries, believing that God will vindicate us. Um, the Bible says that vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So someone who's operating in meekness is not seeking to get even with anybody. They're not seeking vengeance on anybody, but they are, um, they are patient in the reception of injuries. Now, meekness was a characteristic, a main characteristic of the Lord. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he spoke of himself in Matthew chapter 11, uh, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and uh, I will give you rest. He said, uh, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am what? Y'all awake? For I am meek and lowly, amen, meek and lowly in heart. And so he described himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine as being meek. But again, even though Jesus was meek, I don't think any of us can say that Jesus was weak because he definitely was not. I mean, you're talking about a man here that was filled with meekness and was lowly of heart, but he spent 40 days in the wilderness uh, among the wild beasts the Bible says, and face the devil out there. I mean, that's strength. That's, that's strength. But nevertheless, he was strong, but yet under the control and yielded to the Heavenly Father. You're talking about a man here that wasn't weak. You're talking about a guy, you know, a man that took a, uh, made himself a whip out of some cords and went into the temple when, they, when those uh, money changers were there and buying and selling and cheating people and all 
all the livestock and everything brought into the temple. And remember what Jesus did? He went in there with that, with that, with that whip that he had made, and he drove them out of the temple, kicked over their tables. And I didn't read anywhere in there where it said anything about uh, anybody stopping him from doing it. He's one man, and nobody stood up to him or tried to stop him. Amen? Praise God. That's some strength. That's some strength. I mean, you know, when Jesus was in the garden after he had prayed through the, to the will of God, and those uh, Judas led those soldiers there to arrest him, and they came into the garden. They said they came in there with their, with their swords and their clubs and their lanterns, and they said, we're seeking Jesus. Uh, we're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus spoke these words and said, I am he. And as soon as he spoke, those soldiers, what happened? They, they were out. They fell out. Amen. They, were, they fell back at the power of the Lord when he said, I am he. Hallelujah. I mean, he could have called 12 legions of angels to, do, to have destroyed them all and delivered him. But he did not do that. He didn't have to go through what he went through in his death and resurrection, in his crucifixion. But he went through it anyway. That was strength under control. Can I get an amen? See, Jesus was the creator. I mean, we're talking about the creator of the universe. And when you look at the Word of God and the abuse that Jesus took and the abuse that he went through, how he was mocked and he was cursed and he was scorned. He was, he was blindfolded and punched in the face. And they said, come on, if you're a prophet, prophesy. Tell us who's hitting you. And they punched him in the face. They spit upon him. Uh, you know, all these... Roman soldiers spit upon him. They crowned him with thorns. They dressed him in a scarlet robe and put a reed in his hand and bowed down in a mock worship service and made fun of him and mocked him and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And then they took the reed out of his hand and hit him over the top of the head with it, pushed that crown of thorns down on his head. They ripped his beard out of his face and took him to a, to a whipping post where they took a cat of nine tails, which was a, a leather scourge, leather strips that were mingled with pieces of bone and pieces of metal. And they, they gave him 39 lashes with that cat of nine tails. And there was, most people didn't survive the scourging. But all of that that he went through, then a heavy cross was put upon his shoulders. And he was made to bear a cross up Calvary's hill and fell under the weight of that cross. There they nailed him to that old rugged wooden cross and he hung there between heaven and earth for some six hours. He was given vinegar to drink. He was mocked as he hung there and they said, come on, if you're the son of God, save yourself. Come down off the cross and we'll believe in you. But all he could do when all this was going on was to say, Father, forgive them for they do not know 
what they do. Come on, amen. A spear was pierced, uh, shoved into his side, and his side was pierced. And he had all that time the power to wipe out his enemies, yet he did not retaliate because he had to fulfill the will of the Father. He was submitted to God. He was submitted. He had prayed it through. That's why he came so that you and I, through his death, through his death on Calvary and the shedding of his blood, that we can have life and have it more abundantly. I don't know about anybody else, but I'm glad he didn't call 12 legions of angels. He could have snuffed them out in a moment of time. He could have come down off the cross, but he didn't do it. I'm talking about strength and power that was under control and yielded to the Heavenly Father. That is the epitome of meekness, ladies and gentlemen. That is an example of meekness. Jesus was meek, and we need to have that meekness as well. Amen? Praise God. Joseph demonstrated meekness when he had the opportunity to get revenge on his brothers who had sold him into slavery some 20 years before. And uh, it came to that point where uh, Jacob had died. You know the story of how they wound up down there in Egypt and they came to get food from, from, uh, from Egypt. And Joseph, you know, finally he reveals himself to them. And he tells them, I'm forgiving you. I'm not holding anything against you. But then when Jacob died, they thought, oh, now Joseph's going to get even with us because we did do him wrong. And we did do him evil. And they went to him and asked for forgiveness. And Joseph said to them, don't worry about that. He said, I'm not going to retaliate. He said, listen, he said, he said you, what you did to me, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good so that I could be here today in this place that I'm in today. Hallelujah. And, and save much people alive. Oh, hallelujah. And you know what he did? He forgave them. And not only did that, you know, you know what he could have done? He could have locked them up. He could have put them in prison. He could have said, let me, let me just show you how it feels to be in a pit. I'll put y'all in a pit for a few days. I'll, I'll put you all in a, in a dungeon like I had to be in for several years. Oh, I'm going to get even with you. See how you like it. And that's the attitude of a lot of people, but that is not the attitude of meekness. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But Joseph forgave them and he said, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make sure you're fed and you're taken care of. I'm going to give you the best of the land. I'm going to take care of your family, your children. That is true meekness. It does not retaliate. What about, what about David when he had the opportunity to take the life of King Saul? When, when Saul with 3,000 soldiers was hunting David down like an animal and tempting and, and, and had every intention of killing David if he got his hands on him. But God spared him and God protected him in two different times. There, there came the opportunity where David
David was in the place where he could have taken Saul's life, but he refused to stretch out his hand against the anointed of the Lord. Listen, that is meekness. That is power under control. Meekness leaves the matters of retaliation up to the Lord, and meekness never, ever, ever has that I'm going to get you spirit or attitude. Amen? Never. I've heard people say it before. You probably have too. Well, I don't get mad. I just get even. That's not meekness, ladies and gentlemen. That's not the spirit of meekness. The Bible says concerning Jesus, Peter said in 1 Peter 2.23, who when he was reviled, speaking of Jesus, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. So that's, that's one area of meekness. It's a peaceful, calm spirit. Meekness is a strong spirit, but now listen. It's being strong, but it's also being teachable. Meekness is a spirit of, I don't know, is this a word? Teachableness? <laughs> we just made one. Amen. <laughs> it's somebody that is teachable. It's a person that is strong, but yet they're humble and tender. See, the meek person is gentle. Now listen, the meek person, well, we're all going to be under conviction tonight. The meek person is gentle, not easily provoked, always in control when dealing with people. A meek person is cool, calm, collected, even-tempered, and answers softly. That's the fruit of the spirit of meekness. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands. But how many would say, I need a little more meekness in my life. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. I'll raise my hand. I know I need some more of that. Praise God. But, I'm, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're, uh, we're, in, we're a work in progress tonight, aren't we? We're going through that sanctification process. And, you know, by the way, you know, that the fact that meekness is a fruit of the Spirit means that uh, you have that fruit on the inside of you. That meekness is there. It's a product of the Holy Spirit. It's not something you can just conjure up on your own. It has to come through the Holy Spirit. And we've been talking about that. You know, our last week before last, when we're dealing with what we're dealing with uh, from 2 Peter chapter 1 on Sunday mornings, um, we talked about self-control. So self-control and meekness are very, very closely related. So meekness is a teachable spirit. Now look with me at James chapter 1. In verse 21, I want you to look at this verse, and I, I'm reading it uh, from the King James. The King James says it this way, but the latter part, um, uh, wherefore lay apart filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with this last portion, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. Do you see that? Receive with what? Meekness, the 
ingrafted word or the implanted word. That word receive there means to, uh, it means to welcome or accept or to take hold of or to grasp. And so he's saying here, James is saying all of this, uh, you know, the, an overflow of wickedness. Don't allow there to be any overflow of wickedness or ungodliness or uncleanness or naughtiness in your life. You need to lay all of that aside. That, that has, to, has the picture of taking off dirty garments and casting them aside, getting rid of them. And so James is telling them they need to cast aside anything that is unclean or ungodly or not righteous. But then he says that we need to welcome and accept and get a hold of the implanted Word of God. That we need to let the Word of God be planted in our heart with what? Did he say? What, with, with what characteristic? With meekness, which is a teachable, submissive attitude. And what James is saying here is that, that we need to be submissive to the Word of the Lord. See, meekness, ladies and gentlemen, are, is being teachable. And some people are just not teachable. Man. You know, when you're receiving with meekness, with that teachable spirit, the Word of God, we're not going to be we're not going to be arguing with the Bible. We're not going to be arguing with the Word of God. Are you listening to me? And 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 there's a lot of this that goes on today, where people want to try to argue with the Word of God or change it to mean something else. See, when it comes to the Bible, we don't just pick and choose what we want to obey and what we don't want to obey. There's a lot of people today that treat the Bible like a smorgasbord. Amen. They they want to just go through in there and and pick out all the stuff that they think that they like and it's good. Good, but the stuff that's not so good, they're going to pass it by. Amen? Be like going to Homestead, get some of that good fried chicken, you know, and, and uh, but, you know, and then, you know, passing by some other stuff that, yeah, I don't want any spinach. I don't like that. And some people treat the Bible that way, you know? They'll pick out some of the good stuff and they don't, there's other stuff they don't want. The Bible is not a smorgasbord. Amen? It's not your pick and choose. It's not that you can make your own decision about what you want to obey and what you don't want to obey. What you want to live by and what you don't want to live by. We've got to obey and live by every single word of the Lord. Come on, amen? Praise God. It's a sweet book. I talked about that a little bit Sunday night. The Bible, according to Revelation 10, 9 and 10, when John saw that angel with one foot on the land, one foot on the sea, had the little book in his hand, and the, and the Lord said, go over and get that book out of the hand of the angel and eat that book. He said, it'd be sweet in your mouth and it'd be bitter in your belly. And he went over and got that book, and he ate that whole book. And he said it was in his mouth as honey for sweetness, but was in his belly. It was bitter. See, we can't just, I preached on that honey Sunday night, didn't I? That honey was everywhere. It was dripping everywhere. It's there. The blessings of God and the promises of God are there available for every one of us. But let me tell you something. There's some bitter parts to this as well. We, we can't just feed 
feast upon all the cotton candy and the ice cream and just all of the good things. And there's some churches that that's all that they want is just the cotton candy and the sweetness and the honey. But you got to have some vegetables and you got to have some meat and you got to have some some milk and you got to have some bread. Come on, somebody. We got to receive with meekness that implanted word of God every bit of if uh, every bit of it if we're going to grow if we're going to be strong if we're going to mature in our walk with God we've got to receive with meekness the engrafted word of God amen so it's a, it's a sweet book it's a bitter book and and God is looking for people today that will receive his word and will obey his word and not argue with the word Amen. There was a guy pulled over to ask an, an, an elderly lady on the side of the road how far it was to the next town. And the woman said, well, Sonny, if you keep going the way you're headed, it's about 25,000 miles. But if you'll turn around, it's only about three miles. How many of you all know tonight that there are times when we need to turn our lives around? And this book, this Bible, the Word of God is our, is our roadmap. It's our GPS. It's our compass. It shows us the right way. That's why we need to have a meek spirit to receive the implanted Word of God. He said, which is able to save your soul soul, your, your mind, your will, your emotions. I mean, he's talking to people that are already born again. And by the way, we are born again by the, the receiving of the Word of God. Being born again, Peter said, not by corruptible seed, but by incorruptible seed, by the Word of the Lord, by the Word of God. But here he said, if we'll receive as Christians the implanted Word of God, it it will it's able to save our soul. It renews our mind. It 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 operates. It affects our will, our desires, our emotions. How many of y'all know? Many of us need our emotions dealt with, and the Word of God will do something for you emotionally, and and according to it'll change your attitudes in your mind. Receive Receive the word with meekness. Amen? And a lot of people have lost their way and they're headed the wrong direction because they've neglected the word of God and the leading of the word in their life and they say, I don't see it that way. Well, y'all quiet tonight. Well, it doesn't matter how I see it. It's what the word of God says. Amen? So we receive the word with a meek and, 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 and uh, teachable spirit. It's that meek spirit that acknowledges our faults and our mistakes and yields to God's leading, gets us back on the right track. It receives correction from the Lord. Amen? And can I tell you, listen to what Psalm 25, 9, he says this, The meek will he teach his way. The meek will he teach his way. Now, now, you know, so, so how many want to be taught his way? How many want to follow him? Anybody? 
Praise God. Well, then it requires a meekness and a yieldedness and a teachableness of the Lord in our lives. All right? Look at Galatians 6 and 1. I'll I'll, uh, let you go here in just a minute. Galatians, so we're not going to try to do hunger and thirst. We'll do that next week. Maybe next week you all be hungry and thirsty. Galatians 6, 1 says this. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one. How? In the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. I love this verse of Scripture. Because this verse here tells us, as believers, how we're to deal with a wayward believer, a wayward brother or sister in Christ, someone that has drifted away or strayed from the right path, someone who is a believer that's been overtaken in a fault, in some kind of a a failure. Maybe it's a moral failure, some other kind of a sin, but nevertheless, they have strayed away from the right path. They've gotten off track. They're like that guy looking for the town but he's going the wrong direction. And so the Bible says, Paul said, that we who are spiritual. Now, there's a lot of times people think they're spiritual when they're not spiritual. Amen? But those who are spiritual will be the ones that, that will desire there to restore that individual to the Lord in a spirit of meekness. Now, that word restore is a medical term that was used In Bible times, for the setting of a fractured bone, that word restore meant that, you know, somebody that had broken an arm or broken a leg, they would reset that bone and, 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 uh, cast it or wrap it up but it but that word restore is what they were would use for that setting of that fractured bone and see what is what what whatever it is that is wrong in the life of a fallen christian needs to be set straight there needs to be restoration this again this verse right here again shows us that when somebody strays and gets on the wrong path, that they're not just to ignore it, and grace is going to cover it, and they go on in their merry way. Because Paul said here that, that the spiritual are to set that straight, set that, that thing straight. So it's not to be neglected. That, that failure, that sin, that fault, whatever it may be, is not to be neglected or overlooked, but it's to be dealt with, and it's to be dealt with in meekness. It's to be dealt with. You that are spiritual, when you deal with that wayward brother or sister, it's with tenderness, and it's with gentleness, And it's never with an overbearing, holier-than-thou spirit. Come on, somebody. 
It's always in meekness and in love. And in other words, and I've seen in my life, believe me, some of those holier than thou's that would just grab somebody and shake them and say, "Why, well, you old backslid thing, you, you know, you, you ought to know better than that. I mean, being real mean and hateful, and that's not the way that we're supposed to restore a fallen brother. Not with that attitude, you know, that says, well, you know, I'm, I'm so much better than them. Uh, you know, kind of like that publican praying or that uh, Pharisee praying about that publican there and he said I'm glad I'm not like this guy I'm glad I'm, I'm, I'm a big tither and I do all this and I do all that and I fast and I pray and I'm not like him and that spirit of, of arrogance and that spirit of holier than thou that says, well, I would never do that. I don't see what's wrong with you. How come you can't straighten up and do right and walk right? Well, I'd never done anything like that since I've been saved. That's the wrong attitude. To deal with somebody that's fallen astray. We that are spiritual are supposed to deal with them in a spirit of meekness. Restore them with a spirit of meekness. Realizing, and that's what the apostle said there. Realizing that you could also, that I could also fall into temptation. I could fall into sin. Even the same sin that, that they have fallen into. And I could need reconciliation myself. He's, and that's what he said. Deal with them in a spirit of meekness considering yourself lest you also be tempted amen so don't you know don't ever have that attitude well I would never do that and that could never happen to me because I'm too spiritual and strong of a Christian that is an attitude that's just getting ready to suffer a humpty dumpty huh that pride that arrogant spirit Always goes before a fall. Amen. Amen. So don't think that that, could, that could, could not happen to you, but deal with them in meekness. See, meekness helps us to understand, helps us to realize that if it were not for the grace of God, huh? If it was not for the grace of God, I would be in the same situation as that backslidden wayward believer is in. Amen. I don't have no right. What, 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 what he or she has done, is it sin? Is it wrong? Is it, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. But I don't have any right to look down my nose at them or to push them down farther. Come on, amen. And that happens so much within the church when Christians, that people that get saved and they have a struggle living for the Lord. I'm going to tell you, newborn baby Christians are not going to live uh, as, as, as good of a life as somebody that should be matured after being saved 30 or 40 years. Amen? They've got to be nurtured. They've got to be cared for. The baby's got to be fed. Amen? Little, little Sadie back there, you know, we just don't put her out here and she's going to walk around all over the place. I mean, she's still growing and there's, there's newborn babes that have to be fed the sincere milk of the Word so they can grow and we who are spiritual, when they fail, are to restore them in that spirit of meekness, never ever thinking that could never happen to me. Amen. 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 By the way, Sadie was at her first prayer meeting Monday night. Praise God. Andy said she's going to be filled with the Holy Ghost before she's talking. 
<laughs> Praise God. Amen. She's, she's worked the sound booth. She's been in prayer meeting. I mean, she, praise God. She hadn't missed the service yet. Amen. Amen. But then there's the reward of meekness, okay? What did he say that the meek? Has anybody got anything out of this meekness thing? All right. All right. He said that blessed are the meek, for they shall do what? They shall inherit the earth. They shall inherit the earth. Have you ever thought how it would be to... To get a, uh, you know, to be uh, for a wealthy person to leave you in their will. Has anybody ever just imagine, you know, man, what would it be if I was, if I was one of, the, you know, had, you know, one of Bill Gates's and I, you know, friends or or uh, family, and he was leaving me, and that not that I would want to be, but you know, any wealthy person being left in a will and receiving a great inheritance, you know. Why couldn't I have been in one of them rich families? You know, one guy was sitting on the one guy was sitting on the curb one day, he was sitting there crying. He was just bawling, boo-hoo, and somebody walked up to him and he said, Man, why are you crying? He said, Is everything okay? What, what are you crying for? He said, I just read in the paper where John D. Rockefeller, the richest man in the world, just died. And he said, Well, why are you crying? You're not a relative of his. And he said, I know, that's why I'm crying. <laughs> Amen. Well, you know what? I got good news for you because it doesn't matter if you're a relative, of, if you're a son of some rich person or some famous person on the earth. I've got news for you tonight. You are a son of Almighty God. You are an heir of God and a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are in a wealthy family tonight, whether you know it or not. You are in the family of God. Come on, amen. Hallelujah. That's who you are tonight. And, and as an heir of God and a joint heir of Jesus Christ, we have a great inheritance. And he said, the meek will inherit the earth. There's a great future ahead for the church, for the believer, for the child of God. It's those that are meek and those that are lowly and those that throw in their lot with that lowly Nazarene. Hallelujah. That are going to rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ on this earth during the millennial reign. Amen. Praise God. Those meek ones are the ones who are going to inherit the earth. See, the world thinks, that they don't think anything about that. They, that, that makes no sense to the world that the meek could gain the entire world. Because the world's philosophy and understanding is that those who will inherit the earth and those that will possess and own everything are those who are strong and forceful and aggressive and pushy. But that but that, that, that it's great armies and it's powerful weaponry that will conquer the world. But that's not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught just the opposite. And Jesus taught and said that those who will eventually conquer the world are those who are meek. Those who are lowly. Those who are submitted to God. Those who are are, are 
yielded to the will and the plan and the purpose of God. Those who are teachable and obedient to the word of God. Those are going to be the ones that inherit the earth. Hallelujah. And will rule and reign with Jesus Christ for 1,000 years during the millennium and forever and forever on a new earth and a new heaven. Can somebody say amen? We are the ones who are made kings and priests unto God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You're somebody tonight. If you are a child of God, you are a rich person in the things of God and you have a great inheritance. Amen. Praise God. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. The righteous are going to be richly, very richly rewarded. See, listen, God's not poor. Huh? If it's a sin to be, to be rich or to have wealth, God be the biggest sinner in the world or in the universe because he's not poor. Amen? And those who gain an inheritance from him are going to be amply, amply blessed and rewarded. The meek shall inherit the earth. Praise God. So we need to work on our meekness. Praise the Lord. And be submissive and be teachable and be yielded and be receptive of His Word and be humble. Praise God. And treat others with love and honor and forgiveness. Never holding a grudge and never seeking retaliation. And I've had to do that as a pastor many times. Amen. When you probably have too. When people have done you wrong, said things about you they shouldn't say, things that were absolutely not true. I've had things said about me that were absolutely not true. And the Lord just told me, said, just do what I did. Just forgive them. Don't retaliate. Don't get even. Amen. Just put it in the hands of the Lord. Be meek, and the Lord will bless you. Amen. Thank you, Father, for your precious word tonight.